I'm Drew, and this is my garage. So three, two, one. Roxy, thanks so much for joining us today. Of course, thank you for having me. So we talked about, well, so we talked about what we wanted to talk about, mm-hmm. which was first-time home buyers. Love first-time home buyers. Do you work with any? All the time, <laughs> all the time, and I think that. Um, it's a huge milestone and a huge accomplishment to even be able to begin thinking about it here in the Bay Area. Thinking about buying a house. Yeah. I mean, the first step is just to think about it and then, you know, no one even knows where to go from there. Um, but the first time involves the most in terms of the education, prioritizing, figuring out your likes and dislikes. When people are buying their second and third and fourth home, the process is very different. So I think that this is and a is that because they already know everything or they've just been through it and they kind of have an idea of what to expect? I think that you never know everything because markets change. They can change in even a few days. So you always have to get reacquainted and adapt to whatever the market you're dealing with, the area, the price point, right? And like you can talk about lending changes at different price points as well. Um, but I think that there's a lot of emotions and fear, especially in the first time of making the wrong choice. This is your hugest investment to this point. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. So you want to do it the right way and you want to feel excited about it. Yeah. Let's, let's dive into the emotional part for a second. And I just, uh, I was talking to a, a buddy of mine who's a financial planner and he was explaining how a lot of times the reason why you need a financial planner isn't because of the advice that they're giving you. It's because you're, you're being protected by yourself from yourself. Yeah. Right. It's your emotional, the market's tanking and oh my gosh, I'm going to sell everything when in fact, maybe you should be buying. Right. Yeah. So what is a first time home buyer? Now, it's a little bit different because you're talking about buying a house and it's probably not a short term thing and it's not solely to make money. No. What are the emotional things that a first time home buyer goes through? Um, I think that most of real estate is psychological. There's a lot of human nature involved. and I think you're completely right. Like your own emotions can hold you back. Like, For example, getting cold feet after getting into contract is super common. Is it? It is. So and I don't get to deal with that as much yeah. as, as somebody like you would. So yeah. how does that work? Um, I always try to set expectations. I think setting expectations helps alleviate some of those fears and emotions as they're happening because you know, oh, this is normal. So I try to tell people, you know, when we meet in our first consultation like you need to tell me when you're feeling things or things are coming up because your questions and your concerns they're the same that everyone has and expressing them you'll you'll be fine <laughs> right um and so walk the cold me through though feet, like what what does somebody do um you know they're getting cold feet what should do? they yeah what should they be thinking how should they think about yeah. it so let's say that you get into contract. Let's say there are multiple offers, the price gets pushed higher, you're able to afford it. We've talked to you, we talked to the lender about, you know, is this feasible? Are we comfortable? Get into contract, you wake up the next day and you start thinking, did I overpay, right? Because you did, you had to overpay all those other people, likely, to get the house. Um, Do I really like this house? Did I move too quickly? Did I get caught up in the frenzy of other people liking it? Do I even like it? Um, and then you start questioning it Hmm. and I know because they start getting quiet, you know, if you're not still like, Oh my God, we got it. If there's like (laughs) something feels weird, um, that excitement kind of goes away a little bit. Yeah. And then you start getting the questions. Um, you deal with it by going to see the house again. 
Really? Okay, that's a good tip. Okay. Yeah, you just, you know, because if the house is the right house, and I always try to tell you, first of all, I tell a lot of people not to buy houses that they're interested in. I'll point out every flaw in a house because my job is not only to help you get the house, but also I want to help you think about the resale value of the house and is it going to be a problem to sell this later? Okay, so you said you tell people not to get the houses that they like. So are you saying only get the houses you don't like? Because that doesn't make much sense to me. No, no. I'm saying that if you like something, let me tell you everything that could be a potential Mm. objection by someone else. So you're going to be the devil's advocate. You're going to say, well... To see if you still like it, right? Or sometimes, for example, I had... A buyer interested in a condo. It was beautiful. It was a great location, good schools, well within their budget. And I looked at the HOA docs and the reserves, and they're really low to the point where they were going to have to pay probably a huge special assessment or a huge increase in HOAs in a short period of time. And just for those listening that aren't familiar with what HOAs are, basically there's these underlying things that people need to be aware of. And somebody as a professional like you would be able to see that, that the you know common person looking at a house falling in love with the interior of a condo is going, oh my gosh, so beautiful. Well, boy, there's some financial things with the, the broader yeah. project that you need to be aware of. So that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. And they didn't make an offer on it. I, I explained it and I said, I really, I mean, that one, I was a pretty hard line of don't make an offer on this house. It's huge financial risk. Right. Um, people assume that we just want to get paid and we're just trying to sell and get you into anything. No, I want you to be happy with this forever. And I want to look out for you. And it's ultimately your decision, but I'm going to give you all the facts so that you can make an informed decision. So if you have cold feet after in contract, and we've already gone through all the things that could be positives or negatives, and you still love it, taking someone back, Mm -hmm. the emotion of why they wanted the house in the first place comes back. And it helps validate their decision because... I always tell people, don't make an offer unless you have that special feeling. If you've never gotten that special feeling, you haven't found your house. (laughs) It's true. I walked into my house. It didn't fit my criteria. It was not in the area I wanted. It didn't have enough bathrooms. I walked in and I knew. And I called my mom and made her leave work (laughs) to come see it because she's the person who helps me validate my decisions. And everyone has that. Everyone... You go into a house, they FaceTime their parents, Mm -hmm. they send the listings to their friends, you get into contract, they start bringing people over because they want to be validated in their decisions and they have to validate it themselves. But that's what helps someone get over the cold feet because it's it's natural. It's like you buy, you're going to put yourself in a huge amount of debt. You want to be sure about it. So that's fair. Yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah, totally fair. All right. So walk me through the uh, the Roxy first step. So you walk into a house, whether you were anticipating liking it or not, you like it, and you write an offer and you get in a contract. You're saying the next thing you should do, just always or only if you're starting to get cold feet, is to go back and look at the house um, again. I mean. It's very dependent. Like, there's no formula. First step, actually, is before any of that, it's education. First step is sitting down to do... It takes 90 minutes, the first meeting, for my consultation. And it's actually me trying to get to know you, where you're from, how you grew up, what types of houses you lived in, like, how you live. Because I don't care what anyone says. You cannot tell me three beds, two baths, this size, this area. That tells me nothing. 
right? <laughs> I want to know how this house is going to impact your life and what is motivating you to move because the whole process is going to be easier and we're not going to waste time seeing a lot of things you don't like. So that's the first step. Um, and it helps us to determine if we can build a relationship and trust because I say like, I'm your new best friend. We're going to talk every day. So if we don't feel that special connection right now, it's okay. Like we're just not the right fit. I'm not a fit for everyone. Right. Um, and then it's about speaking to lenders, finding the right solution. As you know, there's not a one size fits all. It's actually so much more complicated than that. Um, so working on that and then doing what I call a first time homebuyer offer workshop where we actually hmm. go through a contract. We really? sit and go through and there are two types of contracts here. So depending on the area they're looking, I'll show them what's more typical for that area. Um, and we'll go through the contract and I show them what's called a multiple offer spreadsheet from like one of my listings to show them it's not just about price. Hmm. You want to understand from mindset of a seller how they're looking at you. What's your down payment? Who's your lender? Um, what are your terms? How long are your contingencies? And it helps them wrap their mind around the decisions that they're going to have to make once they find the house. Gotcha. So it's a lot of upfront education because at that point... Is that all in the 90-minute initial no, meeting? No. Oh, my gosh. This is, would take like four or five hours if I did it together. Wow. Yeah. So I like to do a lot of education upfront. It's different. I think a lot of people just start showing you houses because they're like, hmm, something will stick. But I've shown people early on a house that was perfect for them. But if they're not there mentally, it doesn't, ma it doesn't matter. So we need right. to help make sure that you feel comfortable and confident. So you walk into an open house and you're more well-educated than... 95, 99% of people in there. So you know, if I like this house, we're gonna get disclosures, we're gonna go through disclosures, we're gonna go back to the house. However many times you want, sometimes it's four times before making an offer that's less than a week later. Yeah. Gotcha, wow. Um, so that when you make that offer, you might get cold feet. It doesn't happen with everyone, but if you do, it's not that we didn't take the steps to prepare, it's just that you're having that little voice in your head and then we can go back. But yeah, I mean, I always tell my buyers, we didn't contract, tell me when you want to go back. We'll make it happen. Because you they want to measure. Like if they don't have cold feet, they just want to measure gotcha. for their furniture and, and, and all is that. And the listing agent and the sellers, they're fine with that because now the house is sold and just coordinate timeline, time frames. Yeah, so I mean, um, a seller wants a buyer to, to not get cold feet, right? A seller's right. biggest fear, sellers actually I think have a lot more fear than buyers. Really? Yeah. You would think that a first-time homebuyer would be the most fearful person on the fearful chart. I actually feel that sellers are um, because, I'm not all sellers, right? Some are totally chill and they're like waiting out. But a seller's biggest fear is that their house won't sell, hmm. that people don't like their house. Like validation of like this thing that you've created and that you love so much, right? It's super personal. Right. And then you get someone in contract and you're afraid like, what if they change their mind, right? right? There are legal consequences potentially, depending on how the contract is written for all of that. But sellers, I think, tend to be more anxious. Um, so I don't know. For my sellers, I, I always say, hey, we we are now on the same page. We have, or we're working towards one goal. And in the contract, it says you have buyers have access, and legally, if they want to do inspections, things like that, like that is their legal right. So a seller cannot stop them. Right? right? You just want to do it in a way that everyone's on the same page and being respectful if they'd still live there, right? Right. Can't go at midnight. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's let's just back up for one second here and, and talk about the buyer's journey, right? So okay. um, I, I what I find is a lot of times people 
they have some kind of um, there's some kind of trigger in their life to buy a house, mm-hmm. right? Um, sometimes it's a life event, right? Yeah. Like a baby on the way, a wedding, um, a new job, maybe. Yeah. You know, definitely if if it's in a new area, mm-hmm. um, a dog. Actually, that's a huge one for millennials. Pets are a really big one. Right, right. Yeah, there's so many articles that come out about it. Like millennials are driven to buy houses because they want a yard for their dog. And I've had a ton of clients that want to buy so they have a place for their dog. Right, or they or they're in a a condo and they want a bigger place Mm -hmm. with a backyard. Yeah. Um, Okay, so there's those things. There's also, um, I mean, let's be honest, FOMO. Right, my my friend, my colleague bought a house. I'm doing better than them. I should be buying too. Um, yeah, and I mean... Fear of missing out, FOMO. I, I know what FOMO <laughs> means. I um, And not... I don't know. I think one that sticks out a lot for me, because yes, there are all these reasons. Mm-hmm. When I bought my house, I bought it for the simple reason of I thought paying rent was stupid. Okay. Um, I had always thought that. like It was something early on. I mean our values and things that we think are instilled growing up, right? And my mom always told me a couple of things, which were like buy real estate. And if you get an interest rate less than 6%, that's amazing. <laughs> People now, if you said, oh, your interest rate is 6%, they'd like spit in your face, right? right? Yep. <laughs> you, yep. you know, it takes a very special circumstance, but you, we forget that historically interest rates have been so much higher and like 18% in the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you were paying more in your mortgage than you were paying as a price of your actual house by then so when um, i first got in the industry and i'm not that old a good interest rate six and a half percent yeah so i think people take that for granted mm-hmm. a lot here i think people are like oh i have to pay over four percent my friend got three and a half and you know it's like you got to keep it in perspective but for me i knew i wanted to buy very quickly so i bought my first house at 23 and it was the best investment i ever made um so the rent was number one, but number two, like people use the term nesting for when you're going to have a baby, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have a baby, you start nesting, you start making the nursery. I think you can nest without having to have a baby. Um, hmm. There is a pride in owning a house and those projects that you do and the work, the lifetime work of improving your house or seeing something that inspires you and wanting to have a, you know, a hanging rotten chair at your house. You have one, I have one. I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think your house in some ways can be a reflection of who you are and what you mm-hmm. value. And, you know, um, I have so many people that are like, I want to buy a house that I'd love to entertain. And right now, like, I have 20 people that come to my two-bedroom condo. Like, I'm the place that people, you know, that's that's where we gather. So mm-hmm. I want a place where we can gather, right? And um, Something to call your, your yeah. own. Yeah. And there's, when when you rent, you don't want to put money into it. You don't want to put that barn door between the hallway um, and the living room. Like this is literally something told me. Someone told mm-hmm. me last week. Like I want to put that there to create separation. It looks so cool. I do not want to put that money into my rental. Right. It doesn't come back to me. Yeah. Um, right. So so the nesting. You know, you have right now. Why why do people want to buy? Yeah, they don't want to pay rent. Interest rates are insane. Um, insanely good. Yes, insanely good. <laughs> Um, it's well, people want to invest people, you know, they want to do something with their money. Maybe they don't want to put in the stock market, whatever your reason is. Um, I think w- there's a lot of value and it's hard to articulate in the, the nesting 
mm-hmm. of a home and owning a home pride of ownership and creating something that's yours. Mm-hmm. I know I got way cleaner when I owned my house than when I rented. <laughs> like, <laughs> way less messy. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's that pride of ownership and, and the maintenance piece is important because if you let something go, it's like, well, I'm renting, so the landlord will deal with yeah. that. But when it's yours, you go, boy, yeah. I better take care of this now, otherwise it's going to actually be a problem in the future. Yeah. And that's why neighborhoods where you have a lot of owners are typically just yeah. well-kept, nicer. There's a lot of reasons. Now, is there any difference between a renter and a, a buyer as far as just humans go? No, right? Yeah, no. It's, it's Yet again, it's human nature. You don't own something. You're not necessarily you know, taking care of it. It's not going to give you a benefit later. You're not going to put the money or time into it. And then you know, there are a lot of landlords who don't care that much either. You have right. something breaks, they don't care, they don't come fix it quickly, you're going to then take less good care of that place, right? right. It's, it's a domino effect. Um, and that's fine. And there's some really amazing renters, right? Like it Absolutely. doesn't have to take care of things and landlords, same. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, people talk about neighborhood. And people will say, is this a good neighborhood or is this a bad neighborhood? And I always say, okay, well, this is very subjective. Like, it is not my... You know, I can't determine that. Here are some websites you can look at for crime and all this. But I think that the feeling that you get when you drive down a street, mm-hmm. right? Like all these little things that people, they, everyone has opinions on it, right? They drive down, I don't really like this neighborhood. Okay, why? Oh, there are a lot of cars parked and the yards aren't well maintained and mm-hmm. this and that, right? The pride of ownership thing. You drive down a street that everyone, you know, people are walking around um there's nice landscaping and it feels comforting it feels safe um so yet again it's an emotional thing like i would be proud to own on the street and mm-hmm. be a part of this neighborhood right be somewhere i'd want to be and stay for a long time yeah i you know the other thing too about home ownership uh and this is going to be very you know experience related and and not everyone's gonna have the same experience but i know for me when we went from renting to owning the um, we we had a really nice townhouse in Campbell mm-hmm. uh, that we rented, and uh, it was it was like mixed, probably like fifty fifty of renters yeah. and owners, uh, maybe a little bit more owners, but there just wasn't a sense of community, and you know people yeah. were friendly but not overly friendly. Yeah, my neighborhood now it's Mister Rogers' neighborhood. I mean, you you get trapped taking your trash out to the street, and you talk for an hour with your neighbor. And at first, it kind of caught me off guard, but now I love it. It's great, and you you feel like okay, I'm here. So maybe maybe that conversation was happening, and I just wasn't a part of it because I felt like ah, this is just a temporary yeah. thing, and now this is my place in the world at least today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and that's another thing. It's like. I love certain areas, certain neighborhoods, because I feel like the neighbors are so welcoming, so friendly. They like to look out for each other. And I, I feel, I won't tell someone that unless I, I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel so much confidence when I can say that to someone, right? Uh, that they're interested in, you know, we want a place where maybe our kids have other friends to play with, where people are going to look out for each other. Like that comes up a lot. Right? right. And if they tell me that's a priority and they want to be, let's say in Sunnyville, for example, um, one of my favorite neighborhoods areas is the Cherry Chase area because I've sold a lot of houses there. And so I've met a lot of neighbors and neighbors literally tell me, like, get us a good neighbor. Like, oh, our, my kids grew up. They moved out of the area. We'd love to we'd love a, you know, a family across the street with kids so we, we could help look out for them. Things mm-hmm. like that. Um, 
it's nice you know <laughs> i think we lack a lot of human connection now that it, like we don't need to get into like oh technology but it is true like i think people really crave those interactions right. um and it makes you feel very welcomed and safe and fulfilled in a different way to have community so it's not something to be overlooked and like you said maybe you yourself were holding yourself back from doing that because you didn't feel there was a place of permanence and it goes mm -hmm. back to that pride of ownership that you're in a new place and and these are you care what your neighbor thinks. You care if they, yeah. they see you, you know, what, what you're doing and what you're saying. And, and how my house looks. And, and how my house yeah. looks. I yeah. know when I was redoing my front yard, I was so embarrassed. It looked terrible for a while. Um, and I felt bad because my neighbor across the street had like the most pristine yard. I kept apologizing <laughs> and I finally did it. And they were like, oh, it looks great. And I was like, yeah, and I don't have to look across the street and see the dead grass. Um, but it's it's nice and I think that it, it brings more value I think than people even realize until they have it because right. it's something that most of my second time home buyers bring up gotcha. like the first time they they don't think about it as much and then the second time they've had it or they've missed it or like felt a void and so it becomes a priority gotcha. and then usually at that point you you might have kids and not, not that kids have anything to do with it right <laughs> you can buy houses without them <laughs> Roxy what would you say is the number one uh, piece of advice you'd give a first-time home buyer? So I think that most first-time home buyers, um, they spend a lot of time in limbo, like on the fence. Hmm. When they get to me, they usually have been going to open house for a long time. They've been reading a lot of articles, getting uh, estimates of their pre-approval online with a calculator. Right. Um, and so much of that is like, unfortunately, a lot of wasted time is it's very area specific, you know, personal finance specific, all that. So I think honestly, um, it's gonna sound self-serving, but the number one advice is like find a realtor that you, that looks out for your best interests. Right. Um, you'll know. Right. Right. And because those of us who love our job and really care, like my clients, I fight for them. They're, it's personal to me. They become like friends and family to me and they stay in my life. So find someone who's going to look out for you and tell you not to buy things and tell you the bad things and then help you get what you want because that person is going to have a wealth of knowledge and experience, is going to be able to tell you what to look out for. Um, sometimes they find a lender first, but usually they find the realtor first. And then we have our lenders like you who we work with that we trust that we know will take care of them too. So build your team. My build advice is build your team. And make it a good team. Make it a good team and don't be afraid. Don't settle on the first person you meet. Sit, ask to sit down with them. See what they have to offer. Um, see if you have a good connection and go from there. But there are a lot of good people out there who want to help you. So don't underestimate that. And don't look for the cheapest because for those who are like, I could go to Redfin and save a bunch of money or I could go to... Um, an agent asked them to give me half of their commission back. Like, I, what when you look for a doctor or a lawyer or anyone that's a professional, do you want the cheapest? Probably not. You want the best. Right. This is your largest asset. Find the best person. Yeah. It's going to be your largest purchase. Exactly. It's your first largest purchase. Right. And a series of many, hopefully, <laughs> right? Um, so, so build your team. Make sure that it's good and make sure that they're looking out for you. Gotcha. Follow-up question then. Um, with all that said, 
is there a time where maybe it's too soon to reach out? Like when's the right time to reach out to a real estate agent? I don't think so. I have clients and then one of the first things I say, they, they always say, I'm not ready to buy. I'm not there yet. And it's like, okay, well, if you come to me when you've already found the house. It's too late. It's too late. Like I'm going to, we're going to be cramming so much and it's going to be overwhelming. Um, it is never too early because you can come. I've had clients that we, I work with for over two years. That's okay. And I say that it is your timeline. It is not mine. We will go as fast or slow as you want to go. And we'll do the education part. And then if you want to take a break and come back to me, we'll re-educate and we'll talk about, okay, the market right now. But why? when has education ever hurt anyone? Right. When has being well, prepared ever been a bad thing? And the cost is the same regardless. Zero. Cost is zero. <laughs> so it's like, okay, do you want to get that professional advice now as you're starting the process? Yeah. Or once you think you've kind of got to that place where you're ready to buy, right? So yeah. start now so at least you can be educated because there's a lot of information online and that's fantastic. But some of it applies to you, some of it doesn't. And some and of it is area of specific and some of it is just an opinion, right? right? Um, so yeah, so get, get your education and yeah, what... What we do is free until someone buys a house. That is part of our job, and I, I know you feel the way I feel about it, which is that's fine. I'm not, I'm not thinking about the end result. I'm thinking about the journey there. People move away. People lose their job. Things happen, and they don't buy. No big deal. I'm happy to know you. I'm happy that we've formed this relationship. I'm sure you've taught me something, too. Um, so don't be afraid. Don't think you're going to waste someone's time because that – we're here to serve. Right. Personally, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, when people are always like, I don't want to get pre-approved yet. I don't think I'm going to buy for six months. I always say it's free to get pre-approved. All it takes is time. <laughs> right. You know? And just a few calories and you get together. Just time. But you'll feel better because the worst is when someone comes and they think they know everything. They think they know their budget. They think they know all these things. They've been looking at houses that are 300000 higher than they're actually comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to step back. It's hard to look lower when you've looked higher. Right. Right? And sometimes they come in and think they can only afford one thing and really they can afford more and they do, they're comfortable with it and it's and it's great but know what you're working with right right know Absolutely. what you're working with that's it and um yeah because what if you're shooting way high and you're like okay I, i'm looking at three million dollar homes and then you come in you meet with a finance guy and yeah. they go okay this is what the number is and they well yeah, yeah i want half that and it, and it happens all the time that's like versa. yeah someone's always like well this is what i can afford and i always say Oh, how do you know? Did you get pre-approved? And then you know too. One lender could say, "Hey, you can't afford this," and mm -hmm. another could say, "Oh, actually, you can because every like source for a loan has different guidelines, mm -hmm. which you are the expert in. But I've seen pre-approvals that are hundreds of thousands different. Right. Um, it's not about pushing you to a higher price point. Actually, number one thing is it's not about the price of the house. It's about your monthly what you are comfortable with and what you can afford. Right. Because interest rates change and your monthly is still the same of what you want to spend or what you can spend. But maybe now you can afford more. Maybe now you can afford less. Um, it's not very simple. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want someone to call me, right, and this is the lender side, and they say, I just got out of bankruptcy. It's like, okay, well, we can't buy today, but... <laughs> Well, we can, but you don't want to. Um, or 
I just got, I graduated college and I'm going to buy in three years. It's like, cool, let's have a conversation, yeah. right? Because at least we can get on a path towards homeownership. Oh, totally. And that sounds like the exact same yeah. thing for you. Yeah, and I used to work in tech and so I have like um, a ton of old interns and people I used to work with and I've had some of them who I knew when they were in college who said, hey, like, can you talk to me? I want to buy a house as soon as possible. Right. And I talked to them and they realized, okay, it's going to take me a little time yeah. to get there. That's cool. But I think they feel better about it because at least they know. They know they're on the goal, right path. Their, their path and like, what should my goal be? Right. Um, one more thing I really want to make sure to say is I think that one of the reasons people wait is because they have preconceived notions of what where they need to be in their life to be able to buy. I need 20% down. I need at least a mil, you know, to buy at least a million dollar house and, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, you and I both know that's also not true. Mm -hmm. You can have as low as three, five. Like there are a lot of you, options. You don't depending. even have to put any down. Yeah. Just go don't recommend programs. that. But yes. Um, so you have options. Right. So it just depends on what you want. And I mean, there are cases of those people who put 5% down at the right time and I mean, own something and made a ton of money and been in a much better position because of it. It's, it's, it's a, not a one size fits all. Absolutely. Yeah. So totally that's the other that. part of the education of understanding every option and, um, getting over those myths of you need to be this certain profile of a person. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's great to bring up. Thank you so much for coming in. Really appreciate yes. it. I could talk for about 50 hours about <laughs> all this stuff. So it's because you're passionate about real estate I and helping people. Am, uh, <laughs> it's so much fun. I don't think there's anything more fulfilling than like giving someone their keys, their right. first house they bought and like their friends come over and see it and like, that's an amazing moment and an amazing milestone. So, you know, congratulations to everyone who's even thinking about it. That's right. a big deal. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Drew's Garage. Be sure to like, subscribe, share, comment, or do whatever you do best. And I'll see you next time.